Well, good morning, 11 a.m. How's everybody doing? Man, I just want to say thank you for being here this morning. Uh, there's a few things going on in our city. Uh, if you haven't, uh, if you've been asleep maybe this week, uh, you could have attended the uh, PGA today. Uh, you could have been at the Ironman right now. I thought about doing the Ironman, and uh, I, then I woke up. <laughs> it was all a dream. Like, there was just no way. I like, uh, bless them. You know, that's amazing. On the border of Nepal, Tibet, and China is one of the most fascinating structures in all of the world. We find the Himalaya mountain range. It's unbelievable, breathtaking when you see this. You see the picture on the screen behind me. It possesses the highest peak on the entire globe. We know that as Mount Everest. It is a natural wonder and a thing of beauty. Now, I am naturally a mountain guy, and so this just warms my heart to look at this picture or to think about the mountains. Some of you, I realize, are sun goddesses, like you love the beach. Um, I, I'm not that person. Uh, I've actually prayed before that God would allow me to tan, and uh, as you can see, he's just yet to answer that prayer. I, I'm very fair-complected, like I, I don't love the beach, I don't enjoy the sun, it's just, it's a painful experience for me. But geologists believe that the Himalaya mountain range was created from the continent of India crashing into the southern continent of Eurasia and pushing it up to create this beautiful wonder that we know as the Himalaya mountain range. In fact, as that continues to happen at 10 centimeters a year, this natural wonder and beauty just continues to get better and better with time. In fact, if there were no collision between India and Eurasia, more than likely there would be no Himalaya mountain range and ultimately no Mount Everest for us to look at and just be awestruck by. See, the reality is this, is beauty is often birthed and created through great struggle. If you're married in the room this morning, have you found that to be true? Like beauty is created and birthed through great struggle. That is often found in many of our relationships. It's a beautiful struggle. And this morning, we're diving into the love lie that God wants me to be happy. Why does this marriage so difficult? Nobody raise your hands this morning, all right? Few people leave a marriage because it's easy, but lots of people leave a marriage and break its sacred covenant because it's incredibly difficult and challenging. In fact, it's just flat out tough at times. James tells us in chapter one, it says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Now, I know many of us in the room, we have natural tendencies that if life gets uncomfortable, we begin to pivot and say, how do we bring these comforts back into our lives and as quickly as possible? I mean, we, we do everything possible to make sure life is comfortable. In fact, many of us will do anything to avoid any type of conflict, even in our marriage. We're like, I, I'm not having that conversation with them. That's going to be incredibly painful. But many of the great spiritual writers told us this, that life is going to be difficult. 
congratulations and welcome to life. It's going to be difficult. There's times that it's going to be really hard. But here's what happens is when we go through those difficult times, we have an opportunity for our character to be built and deeply rooted in the things of God. You know what happens when you go through difficulty is you have an incredible opportunity for growth. You have an incredible opportunity to mature in your faith. And I've discovered this, that I grow much more through the difficulties of life than the successes that I've had in life. Those are where the real lessons are learned. Now, I don't ask for trials, and I encourage you to not and, and ask for trials or invite them in your life. I'm not as deep into the kingdom of God or deeply rooted as James was because I don't consider every trial nothing but joy. No, it's painful. I'm like, I'm just like you. I'm like, why is this happening? I don't enjoy this moment. But does God want you to be happy? Absolutely, he does. But it's not the pursuit of happiness that's ultimately going to bring you happiness. That's a meaningless, endless pursuit. In fact, if happiness is your goal and your guide and you lose happiness momentarily, you will naturally think that something is wrong or off in my life. If you make happiness your goal in your marriage and it goes away, you will look at it as an inconvenience. And you will not do the hard work to solve the real issue at hand. In fact, you might even leave the relationship because you're like, this is not bringing me any happiness. I don't enjoy this any longer. Here's the truth. If you're not happy in this life, something good may actually be happening in your life. Just blew your mind this morning. This is why happiness is such a horrible value to pursue. You may have been brought to this moment of crisis because of your need for growth. You may be going through this difficulty because it is the solution that God wants you to find in your life. See, when couples do the right kind of work, character work, they find that they can gain more happiness in their marriage than they ever thought possible. In the Bible, we find this king named Solomon, and he goes on this unbelievable pursuit to find happiness and satisfaction in life. In fact, we pick up a a story in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Let's read some of these verses together this morning. He said, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This, too, is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. We find Solomon in this story going on three different pursuits. He goes on this hunt of pleasure. He goes on the hunt of measure and treasure. Let's look at the first one this morning, and he says this in verse 11. He says, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. What was Solomon testing? He was testing life. He was testing the meaning and the purpose of life. If I I can find purpose and meaning and satisfaction through pleasure, then ultimately my life is going to be filled and fueled with happiness. What does the pleasure hunt do? It's the attempt 
to find happiness and satisfaction and physical and sensual gratification. So what is the first pleasure that Solomon seeks is is laughter. Verse 2 says, laughter is silly. What good does it to seek pleasure? If I can just laugh a lot, I will make my unhappy life happy and my marriage will be better. I'll feel better and I'll gain some level of satisfaction in this life. So what does Solomon do? He turns the palace into Comedy Central. He calls up Jim Gaffigan and Will Ferrell and Tina Fey. Chris Rock didn't make the list because he was a little too vulgar. He says, hey, I want you to come make me happy. Tell me some jokes. Why? Because I want to seek this pleasure in my life. It's going to bring me happiness. Is laughter a bad thing? Absolutely not. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 17 that a cheerful heart is good medicine for our souls. There's lots of study around laughter and what it does for us internally. In fact, it releases these happy hormones. It releases endorphins and it releases the stress hormones of uh, cortisol and epinephrine. Solomon thought laughter would cure everything in this life if I could just laugh. I will make my unhappy life happy. You see, not everything in this life is a laughing matter. In fact, laughter can many times mask the pain of life. The reality is this. If you look at the lives of some of the most famous comedians on the globe that are currently living or have lived prior, they're incredibly depressed. It's fascinating. Laughter hasn't brought them happiness. You see, laughter is not a a cure for an unhappy life or an unhappy marriage. Solomon goes on this pleasure hunt, and he says, After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. Now, we're not talking about the merits or demerits of drinking alcohol. I've actually spoken on that before here at City Church. That's not what we're talking about today. Solomon is saying that I thought wine would simply cheer me up. I can see Solomon relaxing in the palace down by the pool. He's listening to the surround sound of Jimmy Buffett on the loudspeaker singing, Wasted Away in Margaritaville. You see, Solomon is tired of waking up in the back of his chariot in Mexico with a new tattoo. He wakes up and realizes that this alcohol hasn't fixed one thing in my life. I still have the same problems. You see, if you're using alcohol as some type of medicinal treatment or fix for your life, the reality is, once you sober up, you're still going to have the same problems that you had before. You see, there's countless people in our culture that think happiness actually comes out of a bottle or at least numbs me enough to where I don't have to deal with the unhappiness of life. Billy Joel wrote an incredible song called A Piano Man that deals with this very issue. I want to read you these lyrics this morning. It says, Now John at the bar is a friend of mine. He gets me drinks for free. He's quick with a joke or to light up your smoke, but there's some place that he'd rather be. He says, Bill, 
I believe this is killing me, as the smile ran away from his face. Well, I'm sure that I could be a movie star if I could just get out of this place. Now, Paul is a real estate novelist who never had time for a wife. And he's talking with Davy, who's still in the Navy and probably will be for life. And the waitress is practicing politics as the businessmen slowly get stoned. Yes, they're sharing a drink they call loneliness, but it's better than drinking alone. It's a pretty good crowd for a Saturday, and the manager gives me a smile because he knows that it's me that they've been coming to see to forget about life for a while. And the piano, it sounds like a carnival, and the microphone smells like a beer. And they sit at the bar and put bread in my jar and say, man, what are you doing here? Sing us a song. You're the piano man. Sing us a song tonight. Well, we're all in the mood for a melody, and you've got us feeling all right. You see, that moment of happiness faded away the moment you leave the bar, the moment that the buzz wears off. See, the reality is this. Without God in the equation, things are still going to be there when you sober up. Solomon goes on the pleasure hunt. And he says, in fact, I denied myself nothing my eyes desire. I refused my heart no pleasure. Solomon was the richest man on the entire planet. There was nothing that he didn't see or think that he didn't just go after. In fact, the Bible tells us that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Solomon wasn't interested in what makes a thousand women happy. Solomon was purely interested in what makes me happy. Solomon thinks that having all of these women in my life will bring some level of pleasure and level of satisfaction and happiness in my life. God created sex for our pleasure. There's no doubt about that. It's incredible. But it's set up to multiply the earth within the context of married relationship between a man and a woman. It's a gift from God. Laughter is a gift from God. Alcohol in moderation as long as you don't get drunk. God is not about killing your joy as he is as much as about expanding it. God wants to give you great joy in him. In fact, Psalms 37 says this, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You want to know where your desires will show up? It's by taking delight in the Lord and pursuing the things of him. The problem is this, is we believe the lie that if we go the way of the world, if we go the way of the culture, that will bring fulfillment and purpose and happiness in our life. And here's the reality, is we always end up disappointed. We always end up brokenhearted. If we could really understand the importance of God in our lives and making him central in our lives, you will experience a level of pleasure that the world could never deliver in and only through King Jesus. See, the Bible tells us another story about a woman who meets Jesus at a well. And Jesus asked her to go and get her husband to bring him back. She looks at Jesus and she says, I I don't have a husband. And he looks back at her and says, you're right, for you've had five husbands. And the man that you're living with now is not your husband. So what's the deal with this woman? 
The deal is she kept trying to find satisfaction through relationships over and over and over again, and she wound up empty, unfulfilled, unpurposeful, unhappy. You see, the one that she really needed to bring fulfillment and purpose in her life was standing right before her, and she was about to give him a cup of water. You see, Jesus is the only one that can fulfill the longings of your heart and your soul and your mind. Lana Del Rey wrote an album several years ago called Lust for Life. Wonderful title. Just kidding. It was a terrible title. But she said this. I never felt pressure, pleasure from the fame that I've received. I slept my way to the top. I slept with a lot of guys in the industry, but none of them helped me get the record deals. I never felt any of the enjoyment. It was all bad, all of it. See, everything, every pleasure that she pursued left her devastated and empty, and it was the same for King Solomon. He had all the money to pursue all the happiness that he could ever want to go on and journey on, yet he found it all to be meaningless. The next hunt that he goes on is the measure hunt. What's the measure hunt? When we measure happiness and satisfaction in terms of accomplishments or success. Verse 4 says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water the groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. What is Solomon saying? I undertook, I built, I made, I owned, I bought it was all about seeking purpose and fulfillment by what he did rather than who God is. And he found it all to be meaningless. You see, many people seek their purpose and satisfaction in what they do rather than who God is. And here's the reality that all of us have to grasp and understand is who God is will far outlive anything that you ever do. When you put your purpose and your fulfillment and happiness in God, and rather than what you do, your purpose, fulfillment, and happiness will far outlive. Why? Because it's based on who God is. The treasure hunt is the next hunt. The attempt to find happiness and satisfaction in material possessions. Solomon says in verse 8, he says, I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. And all this, my wisdom stayed with me. What was Solomon saying? I was smart enough to realize what I was doing, but I wasn't smart enough to realize how futile all these things were, all these pursuits. Solomon had all the money that things could buy, yet he still felt empty. He says this in chapter 5. He says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. John D. Rockefeller was once asked this. They said, how much money is enough? 
He said, whenever I have a little bit more. That was his reply. You see, is there anything wrong with money? No, there's nothing wrong with money. Money makes a wonderful servant, yet a terrible master. Solomon realized that all the money in the world couldn't buy him happiness. You see, marriage becomes incredibly difficult when we go on these pursuits of happiness and fulfillment and pleasure and measure and treasure that are outside of God's design for our lives. Deuteronomy gives us a beautiful picture of what God actually wants us to pursue and seek. Let's look at it this morning together. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. This is the greatest and the first commandment. You see, the most important thing that a human being can do on planet Earth is to love God. See, Solomon finally discovered this. We see this in verse 25. He says, for without him, who can eat or find any enjoyment? Here's our tendency. I want you to catch this this morning. We tend, and King Solomon did exactly this. We tend to give our heart to people and our love to God. You know what God wants? God wants your heart. We need to give our heart to God so that we can give our love to people. We can give our love to our spouse and it flows freely as we surrender and give our heart completely and freely and fully to King Jesus. Psalm says this, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in me. God doesn't want your all. He wants your that. What are you talking about? What is it that you're holding on to this morning? What is it that you're unwilling to surrender unto King Jesus? See, there's an incredible story about the Knights Templar. And before they would go into battle, they would take their swords and they would walk into the water holding their sword above their heads as if to say, God, I will give you everything, but I will not give you my violence. I will not give you my quest for glory. You see, we don't say this necessarily with our words, but we do this with our actions. Say, Jesus, I'll give you everything, but I'm not gonna give you this. Not this, Jesus. Because I believe that at some point this is going to bring me happiness. This pleasure that I'm seeking is gonna provide fulfillment and purpose, and meaning, and happiness in my life at some point. This measure that I'm trying to build is going to provide purpose, and fulfillment, and happiness at some point in my life. This treasure that I'm pursuing, that I'm trying to build, is going to bring happiness. It's simply not true. You see, this morning, I want you to get a picture of your that, what is it that you're holding on to? What is it that you're unwilling to surrender fully to Jesus? Is it a pleasure? Saying, I'm not willing to lay that down. Is it a measure? Something that you're attempting to do in this life, in this world, or is it a treasure that you're seeking? 
Not this, Jesus. Not this. I want you to picture that thing in your mind. Whatever it may be. Get a picture of it. And this is where the pressure comes in. Where beauty is made. Because we have an opportunity to move forward and say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow you to do something uncomfortable in my life. And I'm going to release this to you. I'm going to give this to you. This morning, I want to invite you to stand with me all across the room. And I want you just to hold your hands in this upright posture. And I want you to picture holding that pleasure or that measure or that treasure before the Lord this morning. I want you to allow him just to take that from you. Fully surrender that to him. Say, God, I've been holding on to this for far too long. This pleasure that I've been pursuing or seeking, thinking this is it. This measure that I've been building, this treasure that I've been trying to acquire thinking this will fulfill my life and ultimately make me happy. If you're willing this morning, I want you just to give that to the Lord. And my prayer for you is this, is that you never pick it back up. Say, so God, we surrender this fully to you this morning. God, you're not looking for a 75% commitment. God, you want all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our minds. That's what's going to bring true fulfillment and happiness and deep joy in this life. It's a full surrender unto Jesus. Father, we thank you for this incredible story of King Solomon. God, I thank you for his vulnerability and his authenticity just to lay it out there, to give us such a beautiful framework that we can go on these pursuits, but ultimately we can learn how they're all going to end. Futile, meaningless, empty. God, help us to stay focused and undistracted and keep our eyes on you that we don't go on a hunt for pleasure, that we don't go on a hunt for measure, that we don't go on a hunt for treasure, that God, we pursue you. God, help us to wake up every morning and to surrender our heart fully to you, to pursue you with all our heart, all our mind, and all our soul. God, set us free from the thing that we've been holding on to this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want you to grab your communion elements this morning. You'll find a wafer and some juice. 
This wafer represents Christ's body that he gave up for you and I. And this morning we have an opportunity to recenter our hearts on him. To say, God, help me to pursue you with all my heart, with every fiber of my being, to lay everything down that I've carried with me, thinking this is it. This is going to bring fulfillment. God, help me to lay it down. Every week at City Church, we come to the table to remember the purpose of this life is King Jesus. That he gave up his life so that we could have life. And we, didn't have, we don't have to offer sacrifices and build altars for our sin. So we can simply come to him and say, God, forgive me. God, walk with me today. Help me to pursue you with everything that I have. I'm going to pray for us and we'll take the elements together. Father, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, to come to this planet, to live and breathe and walk amongst us to freely give up his life. so that we would have to sacrifice nothing anymore other than saying, God, I surrender to you. I give you my life. And God, we remember this morning. We thank you for your sacrifice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's take together. And drink together. morning right after the service if if you're a guest with us today we would love to connect with you uh, right outside the double doors across the lobby you'll see a big orange sign that says the welcome room pastor matt will be in there to personally thank you for joining us this morning and worshiping with us again thank you for being here there are a lot of things that you could have done today to entertain yourself <laughs> hopefully you didn't come to be entertained this morning came to draw closer to Jesus. I want to invite our elders and our staff down this morning if you're here and you have a need that you would like someone to agree with you on. These people want to pray with you before you leave this morning. You have an opportunity to do that. Every week here at City Church, we close out with our mission. You'll see it on the screen behind me. Let's say it together. Wherever you are, be the gospel. Love you guys.